Welcome to the Point is to Serve podcast series. We exist to encourage you towards a vibrant and active faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Now let's join Pastor Alan Kiesbo for this week's teaching. A few years ago, Denise and I had the chance uh, to visit Maine, and a part of the experience was to go on a whale-watching trip, and it was wonderful. There was about 200 of us on this fairly big jet ski, and uh, we got to see different kinds of whales and dolphins. It was a wonderful experience, and then when we were finished, we came back to the dock. There was not a lot of instructions, and so about 200 of us started following the person in front of us. About uh, several turns into it, the woman in the front, kind of embarrassed and frustrated, turns around and says, I don't know where you're all going, but I'm going to the bathroom. And so we had to kind of adjust our plan because we weren't all planning to join her in the bathroom. And so we found our other way out. Christianity has been following the leader, and I'm a little concerned that we've been following the wrong leader. The default, I think, for almost every religion and every religious group is a strategy of know and study. So whatever group you people are a part of, the better follower of that cult or group or religion or faith are the people who know the most and study the most. That is the default of faith. We see that when Jesus lived on this earth, he, he was confronted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, who were experts in knowing and studying, <laughs> but not so good at the other way. And while the default is to know and study, maybe God planned something differently. Maybe following the leader is following Jesus by doing and practicing. If we understand that it isn't the people who know the most who are great followers of Jesus, but really the people who try to follow Jesus by their actions, that is our invitation. To move our mindset from know and study to practice and do. When Christianity started, it started at the resurrection, but it became a public movement when Peter addressed the people in Jerusalem. He had a very simple sermon. Jesus lived and did miracles. He was crucified. He was resurrected. Now believe in this person and follow his example. Jesus set the default, and for the, about the first 300 years, that's what the early church was known for. They didn't have a super complex theology. They kind of picked up Peter's idea that, okay, we're going to believe in this person who predicted his own death and resurrection and did it, and we're going to try to live like he did. That was the default of the early church. But then it changed. About 350 A.D., the Christian church executed their first person for not agreeing with the powers that be. That was a dark day, I think, for Christianity. For instead of saying, let's be people who do, now a good Christian was the people who did and uh, who knew the right things. And then that has, I think, become a default ever since. So for us, after hundreds of years of having Christian, Christianity be something we know and study, to shift it to be, being something we do and practice is a challenge for us. Peter, who preached at Pentecost, 
Pentecost sermon, later on would write uh, three letters. They're found in the New Testament. They were letters written to the scattering church in a very hostile world. He kind of recaptures what he talked, what he experienced in the Pentecost sermon, what he experienced in following Jesus, and said, look it, we need to get back to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So let me read for us 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. I'll read from the New Living Translation. Uh, so some of the words may be different, but I'm sure the message will come across the same. Peter writes, Finally, all of you should be one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scripture says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now you will want uh, now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But if but even if you do suffer for doing good for what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see that they see what a good life you, you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing what is wrong. As I grew up in a, a very good church, we looked much more about what we shouldn't do than what to do. And this morning I'd like to see Peter's words in terms of a, a coin with two sides. The one side is what we should be doing, and the second side is what we shouldn't be doing. I'd like you to kind of start thinking about what that might be. The first one is kind of obvious as we introduce this series with the, the greatest commandment, the, the golden commandment. It was summarized by Jesus when Jesus was quizzed and Jesus turned the question around and said, what do you think is the greatest thing? And then when the teacher of the law said, it is to love God with everything you have and to love your neighbor as yourself, uh, Jesus said, you got it right, at least in what you know. For all the prophets and all the message of the old, all the law and the prophets are, hang, are hanging on those two ideas. So Peter, as he's writing to a group of people scattered across Asia, a diverse group of people living in a very, very difficult time. The Roman Empire was starting to ramp up their persecution of the early church. It was not easy being a follower of Jesus. And because they were people who were doing the work of Christ, it was visible that they were followers of Jesus in their community. So he writes to them to encourage them. It was a diverse group, but he encourages them to keep doing the work of Christ, that is to love God and love those around you. 
he would say in this passage, we should be people who live lives of unity and sympathy. I would suggest that as Peter writes to them, that is loving God with everything we are and everything we have and everything we can do. That when we relate to the body of Christ, when we relate to people in our neighborhood and in our world with a spirit of unity, that is following the teachings of Jesus. That is loving the neighbor, and that is a gift we give to God. I would suggest when Peter writes this, he's not talking about sameness. We've tried to make a world where the same people live together in zoning rules and try to keep everybody in the right places. And Paul is, uh, Peter isn't talking about being the same. He's saying being unified. Focusing on what we share in common as followers of Christ then with the color of our skin, our economic status, our social ranking, that we put all of those aside that we might be together as the body of Christ. That flows right into that next idea of, of having a sympathetic heart. That we are people whose heart beats with humanity. And when we see people suffering, our gift to God is to have a heart that beats with them. That when we see suffering, we move towards them. Because that is what God calls us to do. He would talk about then how is that manifested in our peer relationships. Not only as we relate to God, but also to relate to each other. And he adds two other things. That we, we would be tender-hearted and humble. That when we see suffering, we move towards it. We would treat suffering as much as if it was happening to ourselves. And we would do it in a way that people would not be impressed by us, but we would be impressed by the God who sends us to go. I love the people who have gathered at the point is to serve, the community we share together. Uh, we are not a sameness group of people. We <laughs> live in almost every type of difference there is possible. And yet we come together, we say we will be united for the cause of Jesus Christ. That is the unity that we're invited to. And when we move in our societies and in our neighborhoods and in our world, we are people who generally live by this rule that we will be tender-hearted and humble in our serving. It was mentioned in an announcement, but this week we have two ways to serve. Both of those come out of these invitations that Peter says, love God by loving those around us. On Tuesday, we still need people to help us with the Corona help deliveries. If you could go to the website and, and fill out that form, I will follow up with you to give you a specific time to be there and what you will do. Uh, it is living out what First Peter says. And then on Friday, we have a chance to serve a teacher's appreciation day at Garfield. Uh, they've been out of the school. They've been missing their students. But we have a chance to be a part of a simple way uh, to encourage them. Let me encourage you that we've done everything we can to make these safe places to serve. It will be done from a distant and appropriate ways. We will not put you in danger, but we will put you in a place where you can serve in the name of Jesus. Would you respond to this invitation? Well, we talked about the first side of the coin. The first side of the coin is to love God and love our neighbor. It is what we do, and it's one of those things that it's really easy to understand, kind of difficult to do. And it's so much of our faith. We probably have a more complex theology than the early church combined did. 
The question isn't do we know enough. The question is are we in fact doing what we're called to do? There's an assumption that if we know the right things, we will do the right things. But we know from our own experiences, don't we? <laughs> that we don't always follow that rule. Uh, so let us be people who not only know Jesus and his love for us, but that would be transformed us, that we would do, and then we'd gather in small groups and with one another to say, okay, how can I do this better? That is the invitation of the one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is what you don't do. And again, I said I grew up in a church that was very helpful to me, a, a wonderful place to grow up, many people who invested in me. And yet the other side of the coin for us was what we don't do is we don't do bad things. <laughs> and they had a list. We couldn't do this, we couldn't do that, we can't do this. And because we're not doing this, that means we are more like Christ. What's interesting in the scripture, the other side of the coin isn't the bad things that we think of. The thing that the scripture tells us what not to do is don't be afraid. 269 times in the Bible, it says, do not fear. And then there's another 100 times where it puts in a positive frame of being strong, being courageous, being confident in our faith. And so when you think of the one side being, let's love God by doing the right things, Let's look at the negative side for a little bit. Do not be afraid. In this passage, Peter writes to people who have a reason to be afraid. Uh, the fires of Rome were caused, most people believe, by Nero, but Nero wanted to have a scapegoat, and so he found the Christians a vulnerable group of people that he could blame. And in a world where hatred ran rampant, the Christians had a reason to be afraid, and yet he Peter writes to them and says, do not be afraid. Kind of hard to command an emotion, isn't it? What was Peter meaning when he said, do not be afraid, when that is just a natural response? I think he's saying, do not act like we are afraid, but act out of courage. Fear keeps us from becoming the very best version of ourselves. When we live in fear, we're not letting God form us. My son Jordan is actually preaching this morning uh, in Mitchell, and I'm preaching here. And uh, we get together and we talk about our sermons a little bit. And he has a quote that I'm going to steal from him. So if you hear his sermon, it's his idea. But I'm going to still, I don't, can't remember who he said said this, but I think when you think of fear, this is a great s statement. The cave you fear to enter is a cave that holds your treasure. And as we are followers of Jesus, when we are afraid to go where God calls us, we are afraid in becoming the person Christ calls us to be. So let us, in these days of virus and fear and uncontrolled living, I mean, there are so many things we just can't control anymore, and that gives way to fear. Peter would say to us, even though these are frightening days, do not be afraid but act in the courage and strength of the Lord. For the cave you fear to enter is the cave that holds your treasure. These are fearful days, but they can be transforming days for us. Let us people who, who put a hold on the things we fear for the purpose of pursuing Jesus Christ and being formed in the likeness of Christ. Fear becomes a barrier to our relationships, even with our neighbors. If we let fear dominate us and direct us, 
It's much easier to pull into your house, close the garage door. When it's closed, sneak into your house. <laughs> that is not what Christ calls us to do. But to be people who are working and walking and living with people in our community. Certainly these days of distancing has made it, uh, we do it from a distance, but we've had more conversation with neighbors this week because in these beautiful days we are outside. And so from our lawn we can talk to people on our sidewalk. In the first sermon, I talked about Roxy and Fred. Was it those two that I was having a struggle with? They were actually dogs that belonged to our neighbors. Great news. I'm getting closer to Fred. This last, yesterday, he was eating something out of my hand. So transformation can happen. Let's not be afraid of connecting with our neighbors. And I would say fear is our greatest barrier to our relationship with God. First John says this, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here and in this world. Such love has no fear. This morning, we're going to do communion. This is a covenant based upon the grace of Jesus Christ. We never earn this. We never get good enough for it. We come to Jesus Christ confessing our sins, claiming him as the one at work in our life. This morning as we do communion in our homes, separated by distance but not by the Spirit of Christ, we need to understand perfect love casts out fear. And fear casts out perfect love. If you never experienced the love of Christ, I'm, I would say it's because there is fear in this relationship you have with God. Peter would say, don't be afraid. John, who is loved by Jesus, would say, don't be afraid. We've met the Savior. He loves you. So this morning, Paul tells us in Corinthians that we should each examine our lives and, and confess those sins, that we would become the righteous elements of communion, not by our works, but by the work of Jesus Christ. I don't know who you've been following in your walk of faith. Like us, following the woman to the bathroom, that's not the direction. But maybe you've been somebody who says, I've been following the person who says, if I know and study enough, I will be good enough. That has no place in communion. And if we do and practice and we get it wrong, that's the practicing part. And Christ says, come and practice with me. Because as he took the bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. As he took the cup and he poured it. So this is new covenant written with my blood. The work is done. Now you follow this Jesus who says come and be a part of me. Commune with me that we might love God by loving those around us and loving our neighbors. Uh, so let me pray for us and then I'd encourage you to gather those communion items we will do a communion in just a moment. Let me pray for us. Dear God, thank you so much that you are a God who loves us. You invite us into this place of communion with you, not because we've ever earned it, but because you have paid the price through your life and death on the cross and your resurrection from the dead. God, we come as imperfect, broken people, but we believe that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. God, this morning as we do communion, if there's fear in our heart, if we're living on that side of the coin that makes us fearful because we haven't done everything right, God, may you lead us through the process of confession that we know what it means to be pure because the righteousness of Christ is covering us. And as we commune with you this morning, may we have the courage to say, God, we love you, and we will follow you to do the work of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Point is to Serve podcast series. For more information about pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ or information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Thank you and God bless.